You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Ah, so we had got to Taiwan. Uh, if you don't know, Sarah and I took our two kids, a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time, to Taiwan to, to work as missionaries for two years. Um, and we got there. We had a two-year commitment. And within the first month, it was just awful, right? Um, to give you a little glimpse of, of our living conditions, our first apartment there, uh, it was infested with cockroaches. So much so that, you know, when we first got there, I would try to kill them and scamper them around. And, and I was chasing these little guys and make it fun for my one-year-old. Be like, hey, see how many you can catch, right? And so we're trying to get rid of them. Mommy will like this. And, and so we're trying to get rid of the cockroaches, and, and it was just a losing battle. Eventually got to the point that um, in order to just mentally survive in this apartment, we would go into a room, flip on the light switch by the door, look away, give it five seconds, and then walk in the room. Because that was the only way we could, could deal with. Because if you went in there, turned on the light switch, you would see a hundred little things scamper all around the, the walls and the floor. And so just mentally, we had to just block it out, look away, Close our eyes for five seconds. They'd be gone, and we could enter the room. The apartment, it was about 95 degrees in the living room and the kitchen. Uh, the only two spots that had air conditioning was our bedroom um, and the kids' bedroom. And the kids' bedroom, the air conditioner stopped working after the first week. So they moved into our bedroom, which made it get down to 85 degrees in our room on full blast. And so imagine, you know, you're trying to sleep, and it's 85 degrees, and you're just sweating. And so to overcome that mentally, we would uh, lay there. We'd maybe watch something on, on Netflix or something. And then when we're finally ready to go to bed, Sarah and I would get up, go into the living room where it was 95 degrees, and then come back in. And 85 felt great. But in doing so, it's middle of the night, and you flip on a light switch, look away, let the cockroaches disappear, then go in, get even hotter, and come back and try to sleep real fast in 85. So this was our living conditions. Things kept breaking. Uh, our refrigerator broke multiple times. It's a refrigerator. We were working with the school, and they'd have that refrigerator for years. No problem. We get there and it falls apart. Uh, the kid's bedroom, somehow, I don't know, Isaiah's a, a talented kid in mischief as I was growing up. I think he is genetic. Um, and somehow he locked himself in this bedroom where the air conditioner is not working and it's 95 degrees and the lock is broken. And so we had to bust down the door as my kid's on the other side, just sweating, crying, uh, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy. Um, things just keep breaking. Uh, one morning, this wardrobe that had been in this apartment for years just collapses for no reason. No one's in the bedroom, but it collapses on my daughter's bed. Had that happened in the middle of the night, she would have been crushed. This was what every day seemed like. We're going, every time we go out, we can't read, the, read anything. We can't talk to anybody. It was awful. And it was to the point where we were trying to be, <clears throat> be persistent. We knew that this is what God wanted, but finally got to the point one day, I came home from lunch, something else broke and I told Sarah, we're done. <clears throat> and she said, finally. <laughs> and so we, we pulled up Delta, uh, Delta Airlines on the computer, found out what it would take for us to fly back. And I said, okay, when I come back from, going, from teaching afternoon session, we're going to purchase our tickets. I go back that day. We're teaching at a school uh, that teaches English to college-age students uh, by using the Bible. And so we go back, and one of the students comes to me. His name is Joseph, and he has broken English, but uh, he's married to an American, and uh, his wife Joanna comes, and Joseph says, I want to tell you something. And I said, oh, what, 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 Joseph? And he doesn't know. 
that we have our tickets in the little hopper to purchase to fly back the next week. He says, God spoke to me last night in a dream. I said, oh, really? Okay. He said, God spoke to me last night in a dream about you. He said, he told me to encourage you and your wife. You are meant to be here. He said, we, we looked in our apartment and we found a little bit of cash. And I want to give it to you as a gift. And we weren't tight on money, but we didn't have any salary because things had changed and we didn't know that we'd be working with this mission organization. So a little cash was huge. And he goes, God told us to give this to you. It's not a lot, but it's meant to say, you're meant to be here. God told me that in a dream. And Joanna translated a little more to me, and tears just came down my face. And I went home with that little envelope, and I told Sarah, we're going out to dinner, because we're meant to be here. And we closed our account on Delta, and we finished out our two years. And we learned how to live with cockroaches and eventually got a different apartment. We learned how to get out of that apartment that seemed everything to be broken. And, and we learned how to survive. But it was that encouragement that meant so much. This morning, we're going to, as we've been following along Paul's journey through Acts, we get to Acts 18 and he's going to Corinth. And I wonder how many times Paul just needed a little encouragement. How many times on these journeys, we've looked at one first missionary journey, looked at a second missionary journey, and I wonder how many times that Luke doesn't write it, but God intervened in some special way to give Paul encouragement. Because you see him time after time get kicked out of city after town to see him before the court system, to see him beaten almost to the end of death, to see him stoned. How many times did he need some encouragement? And I, I love this chapter because we get to see just a little glimpse of that encouragement that God provides him here in Corinth. But I have a feeling he's been providing it in, in the many cities and many towns all along the way. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to, to chapter 18. Paul left Athens, and I got to think that there, this was a disappointing visit to Athens. This is the great philosophical center of the world. This is where he hoped to have great influence. And as you're reading along, you see there are many times that he found believers, and he set up a, a new church, and he set up believers, and they encouraged each other. But in Athens, they weren't re very well receptive. It mentions two people that came to believe, and it says some others. But it ends with, after all this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Even verse 34 uh, says, so Paul departed from among them at the end of 17. They just, there's no fanfare, there's no church, there's no great encouragement. He just leaves. There's no, he wasn't kicked out of the town like he was in other places. But it's just an apathetic place. And he leaves and he goes on this journey. And his companions, Timothy and Silas, are headed to other towns. And, and so he goes on this lonely journey to Corinth by himself. And I can't help but wonder if he wasn't thinking, that's it, I'm going back home. This is too much. This is just disappointing. This is too much of a challenge. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in Corinth? Maybe I'm going to get beaten again. Maybe I'm going to lose my life. Maybe they're not going to care about anything I have to say. And he's walking on this journey alone. And I got to think that discouragement has set in. Disappointment has set in. And he gets to Corinth, and we see that God takes care of him. 
And I believe he's probably, God has probably done this in every town he's gone on, in every journey between these towns as he's left after being stoned, that God was coming and bringing encouragement. But this time we actually get to see it in verse 18. He gets to Corinth. I think we have a map of Corinth. It is uh, this little city, and you can see it's between two waterways. And if you were to take, if a ship was to take the southern part to go around the Cape of Melee, it would be, it's a dangerous journey. The, the weather is bad down there. Pirates were there. And so many times ship owners would come up to the, to the harbor and they had a system where they were able to drag the ships across and be able to get to the other harbor on the other side and head on up. They would, they would avoid pirates, they would avoid bad weather and so for a little fee, you could go across. So this was an important area in, as far as the ports were. This is also the only way, the only land bridge to get down to this entire little section uh, of the Roman Empire. And so this the city of Corinth was at a crossroads of some very important places. The city of Corinth had, had been established for a long time, but as the, the Roman Empire came, they, the general ended up sacking Corinth and burned it down. They killed all the men, and they sold the women and children into slavery. And the city was left bare for 100 years. Then in 46, Julius uh, Caesar re-erected it as a, Roman, as a Roman site for the freemen, and it was a growing town. So within just about 100 years, when Paul gets there, there's now 8,000 people that live in Corinth, and it's very, very Roman. They have Roman sports, they have Roman... Uh, culture, they have Roman government, they have uh, a Roman uh, council that is over. Everything is Roman and is very, very pagan. There's a little, there's a, a mountain on the edge of the town, and on it is, it's called the Acro Corinth, and it's a summit of 1,900 feet, and at the top is a temple to Aphrodite. And it was said that there was a thousand temple prostitutes that resided at this temple for all the people that would come through, the sailors that would bring their boats across, the people, the Roman soldiers that would come down to that part of the land. It was an awful place to be. So this is where Paul, already dejected and discouraged, finds himself. And we can get a glimpse of Paul's mindset when we see a glimpse from 1 Corinthians. This is where he writes the letter to 1 Corinthians, to 2 Corinthians, is to Corinth, that later he has left and he writes back about his visit. And in the message version, the beginning of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you and let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I think, remember, he's coming from, from Athens. And so he says, I didn't mess with that philosophy stuff anymore. Just came to you with the truth. And it says here, as we can get a glimpse of where he was, I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyways. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a re response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Get a little glimpse of where Paul was. He was scared. He was disappointed. He was broken. And he said, I presented the gospel, but it wasn't my doing. I was just a shell of the man I once was. It was God's work that was here. And so this is where we pick up in chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. 
Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed with them and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Paul arrived to Corinth, he knew nobody, and God had orchestrated and guided him to meet two believers, Aquila and Priscilla. And, and it's easy, to, Elliot had talked a couple months ago about coincidences, right? That is God's appointments. And this was not a coincidence, this was God's appointment, that these two tent makers, which was Paul's trade, are there in Corinth, eager and waiting to meet Paul. That they're willing to find this common grounds of belief and the common grounds of, of tent work. And so Paul is able to work with them and live with them, to find accountability with them and companionship. Remember, he's traveling alone now, and he, he has some friends now that can spur him on in his faith, that can be there for him. And so it continues, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest of them and said, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so we quickly see that Paul is, uh, is working as a tent maker and he's met, preaching at the synagogue on the Sabbath, but he's spending this time with Aquila and Priscilla. He's maybe finding companionship, maybe he's finding some rest. And Timothy and Silas come, and there's great encouragement. I love as we've been going through the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the New Testament, so many books in the New Testament are intertwined with the, the stories we're meeting in Acts. And so this idea of Silas and Timothy coming back are coming to meeting him here in Corinth. We see this in two other books. In 1 Thessalonians, when Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says, but Timothy had just now come to us from you and had brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Did you catch that? In all of our distress and persecution, we find encouragement. Paul's talking about this moment in his life. Here's Timothy and he arrives and he says, let me tell you about the church. I know we feel like we just keep going from place to place and, and we get booted out of these towns, but let me tell you about Thessalonica. True, we got kicked out of there, but let me tell you about what's happened since. Timothy's telling stories about the new believers. Timothy's telling stories about what the Christians are doing. He's telling stories about you should see them take care of the poor. You should see them take care of the widows. You should see the things that Thessalonica is doing, Paul. We didn't get to see it ourselves, but I just came back. You should see. And so Paul finds some encouragement. In the midst of the distress, he finds encouragement in this. Like I said, it's interwoven throughout the Bible. We can see in the book of Philippians chapter four, Paul talks about this moment. It says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except, only, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Timothy just came from Thessalonica, and he's carrying this gift of this financial encouragement for Paul. And so we see, it says that when Timothy and Silas come, Paul devotes himself to full-time ministry. He goes and he shares every day. He doesn't have to work as a tent maker anymore because the Philippians are bankrolling the ministry. God's provided encouragement. Paul's coming into this town of Corinth just 
distraught. Paul finds himself discouraged, disappointed, sort of down, ready to just kind of give up. I don't know. Paul might not be alone in that. I might have just described how you're feeling. I might have just described how I feel some days. I'm just ready to throw in the towel. And this is when God meets him. And he meets him with companionship of Priscilla and Aquila. And he meets him with the encouragement of the church in Thessalonica. And he meets him with his good friends, Timothy and Silas, coming back. And he meets him with the financial support of the Philippians. And God comes alongside him and shines his love on Paul. So the passage continues. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, so don't forget the, the Jews were all upset and they're, and they're raging at him. And so it says, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. He's got to be finding some encouragement here. The Jews have turned their backs on him and he's shaking his clothes of them. And he says, now I'm finally turning to the Gentiles. And this is a big moment in the, in the ministry of Paul. We're gonna see he now shifts almost primarily only to the Gentiles. And so he finds this worshiper of God at a house right next door to the synagogue. He's like, fine, we're out of here. And he goes next door to Titus Justice's house. He's like, we're setting up camp here. And all the people that are normally coming to the synagogue are going to see us worshiping. And they're going to hear our message. And even the synagogue ruler, Crispus, who, side note, invented the little pocket around Hot Pockets. And so that is Crispus. And so, um, and so Crispus, who was able to do that, comes over and his whole family accepts God. And so think about it. All the people that are used to coming to the synagogue that are used to hearing from Crispus, that are used to seeing Crispus's family say, hey, what's going on next door? Why is Crispus over there? And so the synagogue is now decreasing and this, this home of Justice Titus is, is growing and the believers are growing and they're coming and they're getting baptized and God is bringing encouragement to Paul all throughout. But Paul's been down this road before, Right? We've seen believers come and we've seen the church kind of start to grow and then inevitably, Paul gets arrested. Inevitably, Paul gets stoned. Inevitably, something bad happens to Paul. And so you gotta think he's seeing this is gonna come. And that's when God himself comes to Paul. He sent companions, he sent friends, he sent financial encouragement, and he sent great news. He sent this new church that's growing. And here he comes to Paul. It says, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Eighteen months. By far the longest visit that Paul has had up to this point. Because God has said, I'm with you. We got this. You're going to be safe here. And so for 18 months, he he's, sits there and he shares. And I see this story and I, I see this chapter, God sending all this encouragement to him. And I think, man, can he do that for me? And I know he can because we see it throughout the Bible. Last year, we studied Elijah. Remember, Elijah was in that moment where he just felt down, where he felt defeated, where he felt all alone. And it's a very similar story. God came alongside him. And encouraged him. Elijah felt alone in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah felt alone and he felt like he, he was the only believer left. The only believer of Yahweh that was, that was alive. And God speaks to him 
in a still, small voice. And Elijah still feels, says, I'm alone, and they're coming to get me. And God tells him he's not alone. There's a great number of other believers, other believers in Yahweh. You're not alone, Elijah. And Elijah feels the encouragement, and he continues what he's doing. And it becomes a turning point as he goes, and he brings Elisha under his wing, and, and his ministry continues. And so now we have Paul, who feels alone. Paul, who feels discouraged. And, and God comes along the side of Paul, very similar to Elijah. And in a still, small voice, in a dream, says, you're not alone. I got lots of people in the city. Keep on doing what you're doing. And we'll see as we follow in, in the book of Acts, this is a turning point for Paul as it was for Elijah. And, and he now goes to the Gentiles only. And this is a great moment as he knows that he's not alone and that God is with him. It gives him hope. It gives him encouragement. In the midst of this struggle, this long journey he's been on in the midst of being alone, he knows he's not. He has God. And I think this message, this, this chapter can be encouraging to each one of us that maybe right now you're feeling alone. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling broken. Feel that nobody understands. And you're not alone. God is there with you. The passage continues. Even though God had warned him, you'd be okay. You gotta think Paul is scared at this moment. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the palace of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in a way contrary to the law. Paul's gotta be wondering, wait a second, I thought I was, I thought I was safe. How am I captured again? This same thing's happening again. I know how this goes. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to get stoned. I'm going to get kicked out of the city. I'm going to lose my friends. My, Priscilla and Aquila, we're going to be separated. What's, why is this happening again? But there's going to be a change. Galileo is the proconsul. That meant he's the one that reports to the senators of Rome, and he had jurisdiction over the government, jurisdiction over military, jurisdiction over the rulings of the land. And Galileo has been, is, they bring him to Galileo and they say he's been charged with going contrary to the laws. Not the Jewish laws, but they're now calling out the Roman laws. They're saying that he's preaching against the approved religions that Rome has approved. Rome has approved Jewish, the Jewish faith, but not Christianity. And so the Jews are trying to make this big distinction but Rome up until this point have just kind of see Christianity as kind of a sect of, of the Jewish faith. And so if they make this separation, then the Roman government can turn on Paul. His preaching about Jesus would become illegal. His following of the Christian ways would become illegal. And so this is a huge watershed moment because he's a proconsul over this whole region. Whatever he says will go with all the Roman government. And he says to them, and just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would re be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matters yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them out. Basically saying, leave the Roman laws to me. This does not apply. So this ruling is a big one for Paul. This ruling is a big one for Paul, not just at this moment, but for his ministry into the future. It is now safe for him to be able to speak about Jesus Christ. 
Because this ruling has said this doesn't involve the Roman government. So this is a big deal. And it says, then the crowd turned on so thinness, the synagogue leader, and beat him up in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. I don't understand why they beat that guy up. All right, they're, maybe they're just angry and they're like, all right, if Paul's not gonna work, let's turn to this guy. I don't know. But what we do know is that God was true to his promise. Paul was okay. There were many people in the city that had Paul's back and Paul would make it. This encouragement was there for Paul. This encouragement is there for you and I. I don't know where you're at today. If you came today with a heavy heart, with just some burdens of work, some burdens of school, starting a new semester, starting a new class. The burdens of finances, the burdens of health. But I want you to leave with this message that God is with you. In our bathroom, uh, Sarah and I, in our bathroom, we have uh, this message. We actually have two messages. I brought them. Uh, the first one, every morning when I get out of the shower, we, here's our floor mat. This is the first message that we have. So you're naked, all right? So that's just a little reminder, all right? And so, and so that's our first message we have. But we also have up in our room this big, this big sign that Sarah made. It says, be still. And know that every morning we have a reminder of the Psalm 46 where he says, it's 4610, it says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That in the morning when we don't feel good, be still and know. That when the day seems daunting, be still and know. That when we woke up seven times as it was last night, when our one-year-old is not feeling well, be still and know that when life seems overwhelming, be still and know. I wonder if Paul meditated on that psalm as he's walking from Athens to Corinth. And he's dejected, discouraged, depressed. If God didn't speak to him in his heart, be still and know that I am God. As he's been thrown from ta- out of town from town, be still and know as we've been on that long, lonely journey. Be still and know that when life gets overwhelming, be still and know that when we feel like we can't take another day, be still and know that when we're hurting so bad on the inside, we feel like we can't tell this to anyone. Be still and know that I am God. And I love that second part, that I am God. And so when you're scared about the, facing the pro-council in Corinth, be still and know that I am God and I got your back. When you're scared about sharing your faith at work or at school, be still and know that I am God and you're not alone. When you feel lonely, be still and know that I am God and I am with you. When we're anxious, I am God and I'll bring you peace. When we're scared, I am God and I'll walk this with you. When we need a fix, be still and know that I am God and I'm sufficient. When tears are flowing down our cheeks, we still know that I'm God. He's crying with you. When we feel abandoned, we still know that I am God and I'm with you. When we've lost hope, we still know that I am God and I am hope. This morning we're going to come to the communion table up front. 
We got four stations, and as, I, as you come, I want you to encourage you to be still and know that in this moment, in the midst of however you might be feeling when you came this morning, be still and know that I am God. And I sent my son to die for you. Be still and know that you are forgiven because I am God. Be still and know that you have salvation because Jesus Christ died for you and rose again. Be still and know that the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive, and we have hope in heaven and a hope in eternity. Be still and know that I am God. Whatever burdens you might be carrying this morning, I pray that at this moment, you can let it go and just rest in the fact that he is God and that this morning that you can be still and know. If you'll stand and pray with me, then feel free to come grab communion. Lord, I just pray that we know that you are God. God, if there's someone here that's hurting, that's overwhelmed, that's lost, let us know that you are there. God, if there is someone here this morning that is struggling with sin, let us know that you are here to, to help us through, to help us overcome. God, if there is someone here that is walking with you every day and that journey is full of joy, let us continue to be still and know that you are God and you are the focus and the source of that joy. And God, as we come this morning to communion to reflect on Jesus' death, let us reflect on that empty tomb. Let us be still and know that you are God and you have given us salvation. We lift this up in your name.